y'all i am back <laughs> to record a new episode of my podcast this is episode number four i'm excited to do this episode and uh was on vacation uh for a while i am back though so i'm just going to jump right into it um this podcast is going to be about title is your misplaced identity and how did that happen <laughs> how did you misplace your identity right um how did you get to a place where you are no longer living for yourself but for other people right how did you get to a place where you feel that you have to lie to someone because you fear if you tell them the truth, they're going to reject you or be disappointed in you. How many times during the day do you deny your own truth of what you really want or your desires for somebody else's comfort? How did you get to a place where you're constantly betraying yourself or denying your body's desires? that you really want because society or religion says that you should do that. How did you get to a place of li living a life that's so routine and mundane and boring and everything you do is so predictable? And on top of that, it has to be approved by somebody else first. Before you wanna take that girl's trip, before you wanna go on that solo vacation, before you can even hang out at the bar with your homeboys, it has to be allowed or approved by your spouse or your partner. Why do you have to confess your sins to another imperfect human being so they can judge you and tell you the best way to live your life? How can somebody else tell you what's best for you? Ask yourself, how did somebody else become in control of my life and the decisions that I have to make when I am a grown-ass woman or a grown-ass man? Whether it's a marriage, religion, culture, kids, all of it. If somebody else is in control of your life and your decisions or having to approve something, or you're in fear or afraid of what somebody else, whether it's a person, religion, society, may think or feel about any choice that you're going to make, then yet means you are so far removed from your true essence of your authentic self, and you'll never be able to live a life of true abundance. But how in the hell did you end up here? <laughs> So like most other things in your life, believe it or not, most likely began or developed somewhere in your childhood. Now, this may sound like a simple answer, but nine times out of 10, if you start with your childhood upbringing, the experiences, and even more importantly, how you actually perceive those experiences or what you made them mean, that's always going to be the best place to start. Now, as a baby, toddler, preteen, or even a teenager, somewhere along the way, you learned that it was not okay 
to be your authentic self. And so you created this false identity or this false self or otherwise called the ego. And there was a good reason that you did that, right? And I'm, I'm going to talk about that um, a little bit later on. So this podcast is all about rediscovering your authentic, your authentic self or unlocking the keys to your freedom to get back to that space. It's all about showing you how to get back to your authentic self, how to come back home to you. But first, we have to start at the beginning to see how this all started in the first place, right? So, of course, everybody has their own story. Uh, We were all raised differently. Um, But I want you to take some time during this podcast and answer some of the questions that I'm going to be bringing out and apply it to your own life and see if you could come up with an answer. Now, you're going to have to find some courage to sit in some pain for a while because Some of this may bring up pain for a while because some of this may bring up some deep emotional stress or pain for you, but you just have to go there. So I'm going to present two examples. One will be my own and another one example I'm going to present you of when my first memory of when I learned that my true self was unacceptable and I began to create this ego or this false self to protect me. Now, when my husband decided that he no longer wanted to participate in the religion that we were in, I talk about that on previous podcasts, and I'm going to get dive some more into that later podcast. Um, But it was very devastating to me because this was all I knew. It was my compass. It was my guide. I was afraid he wouldn't know how to be, and I wouldn't know how to be, And we wouldn't know how to be together. But this incident actually brought to the forefront another kind of casualty that had been eroding me from within for a long time. And I didn't even realize it. And that was the serious destruction I had been doing to my soul. Dr. Shafali, she's a clinical psychologist, and she describes this as soul erosion. So what soul erosion is, it's a gradual process. It's a slow, creeping, chipping away of our inner being. Uh, It results in an inevitable death of all we know to be our truest selves. It's a disease that begins in childhood and it spreads contagiously, and especially so in women. Now, the symptoms of soul erosion include loss of power, authenticity, loss of voice, loss of vision. It's essentially an obliteration of your inner knowing. And now each incident that you participate in where you suppress your inner truth, you're engaging in this erosion of your most precious treasure, your essence. Now the birthplace of the ego is self-abnegation. And so this basically means it's the act or the habit of allowing yourself to have what you like or want, often so that other people can have it instead. Now, the ego thrives when the inner self is ignored or denied or suppressed and all but annihilated in favor of a force on the outside. Typically, it's the voice of other people, especially our loved ones. 
the culture in which we were raised or a system of beliefs that captures our imagination. Now, I don't believe there isn't a person that I know who has escaped the replacement of their authentic self with this persona, the mask behind which our true self lies largely dormant. And I believe this happens more so with little girls because of the overarching patriarchy we live under. You know, boys are allowed to just be boys. And, and I'm not saying that this doesn't impact uh, men or boys because it does. The men and the boys are also victims of this toxic patriarchy, right? So on our young girls, on the other hand, we're trained to fit this rigid prescription early in life. We're so conditioned as women to abandon our inner truth for the sake of fitting into what our parents or our culture want for us, that we go through life unaware that we have these splits inside of ourselves. You may notice this. Uh, sometimes we may feel this rumbling within that shows up as discontent or flares of anger. But we downplay these as a mood or we attribute them to some issue that just ruffled our feathers. We bypass our inner divisions, our internal conflicts, unaware that when we do that, it's actually making these deep crevices in our lives. Now, most of us grow into adults unaware of the false, false waves. Most of us grow into adults being unaware of the false ways we've adopted in order to get our needs for love and our and worth met. But if we happen to be shaken awake like I was when my husband decided to uproot our entire life by leaving our religion, we typically run for cover before long recycling our old way of being. Now, actually, I'm glad in hindsight that he did start to do that, that he did decide to leave the religion is he started his awakening journey long before I ever even thought about it. <laughs> right. So he was the one who actually set the tone and showed me how to have the courage to create a new identity. So I am so grateful to him for that. So when you're when you're not shaken awake by something or some circumstance like I was, things just stay much the same, right? Under the guide of, oh, this is good enough. I'm content. So now that I've said all that, now you may be surprised to hear what I say next, that this facade that we refer to as the ego is actually a good guy. And I'm not referring to the ego in the sense of pride or anything like that. And that's a different definition, different discussion entirely. That the ego that I'm referring to is a picture that we carry of ourselves in our head. It's a way of seeing ourselves that meshes well with what our family or society expect of us. It was developed slowly in response to our upbringing. And it cleverly teaches us a way of functioning that suits our everyday reality. So why did we create this ego in the first place? So as children, 
we are unable to self-advocate. So growing up, we had no option but to surrender to the conditioning we received, even if this meant a divorce from our essence or our true self. We are literally at the mercy of our mothers, fathers, or whoever are our caregivers or what society or culture or religion we are in at the time. We have no say so, <laughs> you know? So by creating this false self or this ego, in fact, is, is an act of compassion. So it's a necessary aspect of what it takes to grow up. Uh, this false self is something we instinctively adopt in order to ensure that our needs actually get met. Now, the tricky thing about the ego is that this coup of who we really are in essence is so gradual that we aren't even aware of how it's changing us to fit in with our family or our culture or our religion. Now, moldable as children are, we capitulate to our parents every dictation, often without any pushback. We contort ourselves until we match this picture that others have of us such that their picture of us becomes our own picture. Now, for example, if our parents had admonished us for being too emotional or too much of this or too much of that, many of us will immediately react in a very rapid fire way to adjust our temperaments to match what their standards are. And that's what I did. So this ego becomes our armor, our protector, helping us to adjust to this misaligned childhood. And then depending on the type of childhood you had and experiences, this can take so many different forms, right? Especially if there's some type of abuse, neglect. So, so great is our thirst to be seen and validated by our parents and our culture that we just succumb to the ego's powerful and this instinctive lure that slowly buries our authentic nature in the process. And so the result of that is a false identity. And this is what we now present to the world. And we think it's who we are, but it's really only a facade that we wear to ward off the fear that we really feel unworthy and unlovable. <clears throat> I'm gonna present my own example of my first memory that I can think of anyway and I'm sure I had other ones, <laughs> uh, of how this soul erosion started for me. Then I'm going to give you another example of another person, and then I want you to sit down, find a quiet space where you can be alone with your own thoughts without any interruptions, and then try to think about your first memory of when you first learned or remembered that it was not okay or acceptable to be your true self. Now, so for my own example, going back to <clears throat> perhaps when I was like maybe five years old, I want to say. Now, I was the middle child. Um, it was three girls and then my brother, uh, Poopy, was the youngest and I'm in the middle. And I was always considered like the scared child out of 
all of my brothers and sisters, you know, they were so courageous and would do all these things and not be afraid to do anything. But I, on the other hand, <laughs> I was probably scared of everything, bugs, dogs, the dark, whatever. Probably was <laughs> scared of my own shadow. <clears throat> now, one, we listened to music a lot in our house and dance, listen to music. Um, but what? particular thing that my mother and my stepfather would do was we would they would turn on the michael jackson thriller song they would turn it up real loud and we would all be in the living room and next thing i know somebody had turned off all the lights and everybody ran out of the room and they would leave me there and would make me stay there i remember being so scared and I would say to my mom, my stepdad, like, you know, I'm really afraid. Like, I don't want to be here. But they would be like, oh, you're a scaredy cat. You need to get over your fear of the dark and fear of monsters and all these things. So that's why we're doing this to help you with to get over that. And I just remember being in that living room and crying and everybody laughing at me and saying that you know the reason was so i can gather this courage and to to not cry and to not be afraid right <clears throat> and i remember just freezing i, I actually could have just ran out the room right <laughs> but i would freeze and i would be stiff frozen not knowing what to do would just cry and the more they would do that right um i still wouldn't i would just sit there and, and cry right um but then little by little i would stop crying because i learned that crying was not acceptable but my my fear my i was still scared that that didn't change never changed i wanted to cry i wanted to scream but instead i just stood there uh, nobody came to my rescue nobody comforted me so for the first time I realized what it meant to be abandoned. And I learned that my sadness, my tears, and my fears were not acceptable emotions. And if I had them, everybody would laugh at me or not accept me. My mother would not approve of me. And by her forcing me to just stay in that room, even though I was afraid and was saying that to her, what it did was it kind of discarded like my entire sense of safety, security, and worth. Now, looking back, I believe that my true authentic self was somebody who was very empathetic who was very emotional deeply emotional uh, i believe i have a very high emotional intelligence uh, emotional intelligence is just the ability to understand uh, use and manage your own emotion in positive ways to relieve stress communicate effectively when others are having intense emotions uh, the ability to empathize with other people being able to overcome challenges and diffuse conflict. I'm good at that. <laughs> People will call on me to be the mediator all the time. But even though I have that high emotional intelligence, 
I was lacking in the ability to be able to express my emotions. But I'll talk about that another time. But so going back to my experience, the lesson that I learned from that was that my negative or sad emotions are not acceptable. And if I had them, I was not accepted by my mother. And I didn't fit into the group or the family dynamic. So from that point forward, I understood that I had to hide my true self and my emotions. And this was the beginning of how my lifetime armor armor of emotional stoicism <laughs> started to form. I learned that in order to be strong or to appear strong, sad emotions were not allowed. So I guess in that sense, you know, the experiment worked because even though I never learned to stop crying, what happened was I didn't cry in front of other people. So it worked in that sense, but my tears just turned inward and I made sure nobody ever would see me cry, even as an adult. And I remember being bullied. I was bullied uh, first second and third grade by the same girl and I never said anything to anybody especially was not going to say anything to my mom about it because I knew she would say I was weak I wasn't strong and she would make me face my fear like she tried to make me face my fear by playing the the thriller song and to, to help me get over that and I knew she would probably make me confront this girl and fight her. And the truth was, I was terrified of this girl. So I kept silent. I didn't say anything to anybody. Okay. My big sister did eventually come to my rescue and she was my superhero. <laughs> um, but that was my new way of dealing with life to just keep silent about any sad emotions from that point forward i remember in my teenage years and in my early adult years you know my mom and others would say that you're so nonchalant about other people's emotions or your own and it just seems like you just don't care I've always had a hard time expressing my inner world and feelings articulately and especially trying to do that without crying. Every time I would even attempt to tell somebody a sad emotion I was having, I would have tears well up. And I definitely was not going to allow to anyone to see me cry. So I would just freeze up or shut down, do the silent treatment, right? It would immediately take me back to that time in that room when I was crying in that room listening to that Michael Jackson thriller song okay not even my husband or my children <laughs> uh, ever saw me cry either so and just a side note to parents out there so if, if you would like to help your child with their emotions you should allow them to feel them and not hide them or tuck them away. And the emotions are meant to be released and expressed and not to stay bottled up or invalidated. So I was known as the fixer. The first thing I would do was jump to 
the first thing I would jump to when anybody was expressing their sadness was instead of wasting time with all this crying, I'm thinking, what can we actually do about it? So people got the impression that I didn't have any heart or any feelings because I was so quick to jump to fixing things. But however, that wasn't true at all. I just didn't know how to express my emotions, but I had a lot of them. I would feel very deeply when I would see other people sad or crying, especially uh, if it was a child. But I had learned to not let anybody see my sadness or my tears. So it was always internalized inside of me to the point that it actually would make me sick, literally and physically. I was the child who was sick all the time, had strep throat, ear infection, constipation issues, acne, ringworms, scalp issues, seborrheic dermatitis, eczema, chickenpox. You name it, I had it. New, new things that people didn't know, I had it too. <laughs> then I even carried a lot of these same chronic conditions into my childhood, and I couldn't figure out for the life of me why am I still struggling with acne and all these other chronic conditions that I've had for years. And later on in my adulthood, during my inner child healing journey, I learned that the mind and the body are inseparable and that illness and health cannot be understood in isolation from the life, from your life histories, social context, and emotional patterns of your life. No matter all the different treatments I tried, I could never get a handle or fix these chronic conditions. Until I learned that and I finally put two and two together, like I am not separate from my emotions, my thoughts and my feelings and my chronic conditions are tied to these as well. That was a game changer for me. That was when I truly began to heal these chronic conditions and get rid of them. When I see somebody today that's suffering for, from acne, for example, the first thing I'm thinking is, what do you want the world to hear that you're afraid to say? Why are you suppressing your emotions so much that your emotions are screaming at us through your skin? I'm gonna go off on a little soapbox for a second. <laughs> another uh, podcast about this but so there was a u.s study uh found that women who on are unhappily married and do not express their emotions have a greatly increased risk of death compared with similarly unhappy women who do not repress their feelings and a canadian research um, article showed that people abused in childhood have a nearly 50 percent increased risk of cancer in adulthood. Such manifestations of what the psychiatrist and author Daniel Siegel has termed interpersonal neurobiology. Or going a step further, we may call interpersonal biology. 
our relationships, especially in childhood, help shape our physiology and body chemistry. And as ancient philosophies and healing practices of cultures around the world have recognized, everything is interconnected. But despite this scientific advances in this unity, we have not appreciated its implications and have not incorporated it into our traditional medical practices here in the U.S. There's a doctor named Dr. Gabber May. I think I think he actually has a Netflix documentary. Gabber Métis, M-A-T-E. He wrote a book called When the Body Says No, Exploring the Stress-Disease Connection. And what his book shows is that People don't become ill despite their lives, but rather they become ill because of their lives, their lives. And life includes not only physical factors like diet, physical activity and the environment, but also the internal things of like your thoughts, your unconscious emotions from your childhood. These govern so much of our physiology through mechanisms of stress, and the unity of the systems that modulate nerves, hormones, immunity, digestion, as well as your heart function. Now, a lot of disease can be prevented and healed if we and healed if we fully understood the scientific evidence verifying the mind and body unity. So I would encourage you to read his book because it will help you to do some self-examination, get some insight and do some real transformation and connecting those dots together. The mind-body connection, right? So it's going back to my, um, get off my soapbox there. <laughs> um, so going back to my experience. So, so when I would see someone crying or expressing their, sad emotions or even angry emotions i would think to myself this person has no self-control i interpreted it as a weakness and i sought out to squash their feelings or and validate them by quickly jumping to a solution just like i had been taught as a kid now once i was able to bring my old memories of how my mom had done this to me into awareness and that I was just repeating the same pattern she created, I began to heal the wounds of my old self. And in this way, I was able to open my heart more fully to my family. Now, here's another example. We're going to call her Tiffany. I want you to see if you see yourself in Tiffany. Or do you also notice how me and Tiffany's circumstances, although circumstances are different, our interpretation was similar. Now, each incident in which we suppress our inner truth, we engage in the erosion of our most precious treasure, our essence. Now, Tiffany remembers being around five years old when she broke her favorite toy. This was a doll she had named after herself and she took care of it like it was her little baby. Heartbroken, she recalls that she cried for hours. Her father, who was a strict disciplinarian, told her to stop crying or else she would get a whooping. 
But this just made her cry even more. When she continued crying at the dinner table, that's when her father lost his temper. He broke the rest of the doll, dumped it in the garbage. Tiffany was shocked by his rage. She recalls being stupefied by his response. She said, it was like he had broken me into pieces and dumped me in the garbage. I wanted to cry and scream. I actually wanted to hit him and break him, but instead I just stood there frozen. No one came to my rescue. No one comforted me. For the first time, I realized what it meant to be abandoned. He didn't just throw my precious doll away. He discarded my entire sense of safety, security, and worth. This is when it dawned on Tiffany that she too had to hide her true self. And this is how her lifetime armor, armor of emotional stoicism also formed. Now notice how this impacted her in her adult life. And you may see yourself in some of this. So fast forward to Tiffany now in her 40s. She has a challenging time expressing her inner world and feelings articulately. Both her husband and her children often complain to her that they don't feel connected to her because she is too harsh and rigid. Her teenage son, we call him Trey, in particular have been entering into almost daily conflicts with her, which led her to seek therapy. It was only after much processing that she came to understand how her childhood defenses Emotional withdrawal and suppression were now interfering with her ability to connect with her son. Tiffany was repeating her childhood pattern to the letter, even personifying some of her father's old ways. When Trey would express his feelings, Tiffany found herself being critical and harsh with him. And now she understood why. Her son reminded her of her younger self, the one who was reprimanded by her father. When she saw him being emotional, she interpreted it as weakness and sought to squash his feelings and validating him just as her father had done. Now, as she brought her old memories into awareness, she began to heal the wounds of her old self in this way and was able to open up her heart to her son. Do you see yourself in Tiffany in some kind of way? Now, at first, our true self fights for survival. It protests loudly, so much so that we feel nauseated. But as we continue to ignore it, this protesting fades until it's just a mere whimper. Now, as the years erase all memory of its existence, the cries also recede together as well. This loss of self is universal. We have all felt its ravaging wounds. Now, as our authenticity erodes, what's left behind is this inner cradle filled with a cacophony of chaos that affects every part of how we now live. And it manifests in all sorts of ways and seemingly insignificant ways too. 
Here's some examples. Cars careening off roads, alcoholic uh, blackouts, eating disorders, chronic exhaustion, self-doubt, self-sabotage, chronic disease and illness, purposeless jobs, missed deadlines, forgotten bills, forgotten kids. (laughs) You left your child somewhere and had to be like, oh man, I left the baby. Listlessness and apathy, confusion and self-loathing, emotional disconnection and withdrawal, gnawing anger and irritability, and so much more other shit, right? Now, when my husband left this religion we were in, this shook me into the awareness that I had also veered off my soul's reason for being here. It made me, this circumstance made me question for the very first time in my life, who was I? Who had I become in this flurry of being a wife, getting my education, being a mother? How had I allowed my essence to be destroyed and discarded in this way? I was so good at hiding my inner life that no one would know I was emotionally disjointed and falling apart inside. I had a veneer of competence that I brilliantly put together that covered my internal disarray and misalignment. I wore a mask of super competence and high achievement. I had been creating this outer persona for decades and it was well honed. As it is with all of us, the death of who we originally are is replaced by a persona we commonly call the ego or our false self. And then most of us grow up thinking of this as our true self, but little do we realize that we are creating an entire life based on a false foundation that will have severe emotional consequences for years to come. Can you think of a time in your childhood where you learned directly or indirectly indirectly that your authentic self was unacceptable? I want you to go back to that place. It may take you some time. It could take you a couple of days also or a couple hours. But I think it's very important for you to sit in that and try to dig that up. Now, while it isn't something that we are consciously aware of, most women are trained from an early girlhood <laughs> to crave what Dr. Shafali calls a triple threat. The triple threats are the need for approval, the need for validation, and the need for praise. The triple threat is a means of glossing over the void that lies at our center, where our essence was intended to blossom. Lacking awareness of who you truly are, the triple threat becomes an unconscious surrogate, a source of aphrodisiac that we're seeking outside of ourselves all the time. So I often hear women that I've spoken to say, man, when I get into a relationship, I just lose myself. 
And it doesn't surprise me when they say that, when they're in a relationship that they feel is destroying the last shard of who they once were. And when I work with these women, I know they'll come to realize that it's not their relationship where this destruction of their authentic self began. The relationship is just evidence of the final collapse of an already shattered inner world. No one loses themselves to somebody else. You come to that person or to that relationship already lost. So straying from yourself began decades before we even became adults and entered into a relationship. The proclivity to wander far from our true self essentially started in our mother's womb with our mother's heartbeat. The way we find ourselves today came down the generational pike. We just don't realize it until a relationship begins to mirror this lostness. But if we're lucky, we will see this pattern and we'll wake up. If you are in a relationship or every relationship that you're in you're constantly dealing with the same issues and we always want to blame the man or, or or our partner but who's the common denominator especially if it's happening in every relationship whether if that's physical or verbal abuse whatever it is you are the common denominator and i'm not saying this to to say that uh, it's your fault that somebody is abusing you physically or verbally, but you do have to own your part. And so when I speak of our essence, I'm talking about an identity that's mirrored in the core of the self. This vision of ourselves is untethered to any outside goal. When we have the space and the exploration to roam free, uh, firmly plant ourselves in our true essence, we get to discover how truly powerful we are. But the problem is that other people have played the central role in our psyche or our lives more than we ourselves have, which is the root of this sickness that I call it. The extent to which we are carved and curated by other people is really shocking. And we don't even notice it or realize it. And women in particular have a common tendency to obliterate our identity for the sake of what others and culture and religion demand of us. And regardless of the facade we wear, each woman battles a loss of her essential self at the hands of others. Who are we when we're stripped of our cultural conditioning, free of our identification as someone's daughter, sister, wife, or mother? Without our childhood scripts and patterns and take away and take away what culture and religion imposes on us, who are you? Have you ever examined who you might be when you're stripped of your facade? So if you're courageous enough to see the answer, you will be on track to find the true purpose of your life. 
which is to be your most authentic self in the here now. So, but this is going to mean digging deep into your essence and shedding all that isn't true to who you are. It means releasing the parts of your being that no longer serve you and let go of the patterns that keep you stuck. It means looking squarely at your fear of doing so and confronting what lies behind it. For me, it meant letting go of feeling like my emotions and feelings were invalid or unworthy of a voice, becoming my own authority, using my own intuition as my guide, and stop filtering all my decisions through my spouse, religion, society, and even my kids. And as I increasingly validated my inner self, I was able to release other people around me from giving me that ego fix and validation. And as I grew to love myself more, I began to stop betraying myself and my emotions just to make somebody else feel comfortable. Now, at first, this new me, <laughs> the people closest to me resisted my new way of being because they had never seen them before. And they even felt betrayed by me, which is a normal reaction. But when they all realized I was no longer going to betray myself for someone else, they had no choice. They just began falling in line. I have finally tasted what it meant to be free of this script and these filters that I needed to sacrifice myself in, in order to receive another person's validation. I was able to answer the question, all of us arrive at on our path towards spiritual awakening. Am I ready to be true to myself and give myself the validation I so desperately sought, desperately sought from others until now? You know, it's also extremely important to understand our blueprint as women. Uh, it doesn't matter our geographical location, our income, whether we're raised in a village in Africa or in Georgia. We are, to varying extents, formed by this blueprint. It doesn't matter what continent they were passed on in whatever language. The fact remains that women are conditioned to hold ourselves back and give ourselves and give of ourselves to ensure that the needs of other people are met before our own. And as a result, we often suffer exhaustion, burnout. We find ourselves irritable, cranky, and we don't know why, we just mad. <laughs> but it's from understanding how our self-abnegation or self-loathing came to be that the deepest self-love eventually will emerge. Now to do this, you're going to need to go deep within yourself. <coughs> to do this, you're going to need to go deep within yourself and understand the severity of your divorce from your inner being. And it's only then will your transformation flourish. Thank you all again for listening. Uh, please don't forget to rate, to like, and please share, share, share this podcast. 
with everybody and especially with anybody that you feel is in need of an awakening and uh, a life change.